today if this was a daily Mass, but since we have a hymn at the beginning of Mass, that hymn takes the place of that entrance antiphon. You know, those of you who have gone to daily Mass probably remember before the Mass starts, someone gets up and they have a short phrase or a refrain that's said, and then Mass begins. The refrain for today is, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice, Gaudete. So the theme of this Sunday is rejoice. Back in the early days, between the 5th and 9th century, Advent lasted 40 days. Right? Advent was like another Lent. And not only because it had 40 days, but because during this Advent preparation, these 40 days of preparation, there was fasting and abstinence every day. Can you imagine that? Right? You had to eat very little and only eat certain foods. Right? You were doing penance to prepare for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Those high points during the year, Christmas and Easter, each were preceded by 40 days of penitence and of preparation. So, it was a tradition in the early church that when they got to Gaudete Sunday, where the theme is rejoice in the Lord, right? it was that one day in the 40-day preparation that the fast was lifted, right? they were able to feast and they were able to enjoy. So it was no wonder that it was referred to as Gaudete Sunday. Right? If it wasn't enough that Jesus Christ is a motivation for you to rejoice, Right? The church helped us along and said, all right, we're going to actually turn this into a feast. Right? It was a moment of rejoicing because 40 days we haven't been eating and we've been doing penance, and now we get a chance to splurge a little bit before Christmas happens. I remember when I was growing up, my mom, she never made Christmas cookies. She made chocolate chip cookies, and that's because my dad is the biggest fan of chocolate chip cookies. Right now he's retired, and, and what he does, my mom tells me, he's like a little kid now. He has a tractor with a snowplow, and he'll wake up at like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, waiting to see how much snow is coming down. And then he goes, he plows their driveway, and then he goes all the way up the road and just starts plowing everyone's driveway. Right? And the payment that he asks is that they bake him chocolate chip cookies. That's, that's how much of a fan he is of chocolate chip cookies. Right? And someday if my dad comes down here, you can ask him. True story. Right? My mom hates it. My dad loves it. Right? Winter and the more snow, the better for him. Right? That's, winter is his favorite season. And I remember as a kid, my mom would bake chocolate chip cookies. And what do you do when you take chocolate chip cookies out of the oven? You put them on the little cooling rack so they cool off. Right? And then what usually happens? Right? The smell starts to attract family members to the kitchen. Right? You know, when no one wants to help mom because she's there with the dough, she's getting the chocolate chips and all that stuff, and yeah, the kids are playing, dad's off doing his thing. But as soon as those chocolate chip cookies come out of the oven, it's like everyone loves mom. Everyone wants to be around mom. So my mom had a policy, right? She said you could get, and these were our Christmas chocolate chip cookies. She said, you can only eat the ones that are messed up or a little burned. So it was always a competition. And my dad would go and he'd lift up the whole rack and look underneath. You know, and his definition of burned was it, they weren't completely white. Right? If they were a little on the brown side, that was enough that it was burned. And he would start to go through the chocolate chip cookies and my mom would send them out of the kitchen, right? And I remember how it was just like, it was kind of like this little teaser before Christmas. 
Right? We're all getting ready for Christmas, and we have that one little window of opportunity where mom kind of lets down her guard, and she says, okay, the burned ones are the ones that don't look too good. You can eat those. But just a little bit, and then we're putting them away, we're boxing them up, and those are for Christmas. Those are the Christmas cookies. Well, a similar thing happens today in the liturgy. Right? No, there's no chocolate chip cookies. Right? There aren't any candy bars. It's not a school mass. But a similar thing happens today in the liturgy. We're traveling along, we're waiting for Christmas, we're trying to prepare for Jesus Christ, right? Between the 5th and ninth century, they weren't eating, they were doing heavy penance, and then we have this little window of opportunity when the church says, let's go, let's rejoice, remember what we're preparing for. Remember that there's Christmas cookies ahead. Okay, you can get a little bit of the burnt ones, and a little, have a little bit of a taste, and we're going to have a little bit of fun this evening, but then remember that this is just a foretaste of what we're going to experience on Christmas Day. I want to just tie some things together for you regarding our Advent season. Right After the ninth century, it was reduced to four weeks, and then later on the fast was, was lifted, even though it is still... Uh, there is a penitential tone to it. That's why we wear purple, right? But let me tie the different weeks together. The first week of Advent, the readings explained what does it mean that we're preparing for Jesus Christ? I mean, come on. He was born 2,000 years ago. Are we faking it? And we heard in the first Sunday of Advent that no, we're not trying to fake that Jesus Christ never was born, right? We're not trying to pretend, right? We're playing that Jesus wasn't born 2,000 years ago and we're preparing ourselves. No. Truth says we're preparing ourselves constantly for his second coming and we're preparing ourselves daily so he comes more and more into our life and becomes the Lord and master of our life, of our daily life. And then the second Sunday of Advent, what did we hear in the readings? Right? The prophet Isaiah, he describes this unnatural peace, right? The cow and the bear living together, the lion, lion eating grass, stuff we don't see normally in nature. And the prophet Isaiah says, look, this is what Jesus Christ brings. This is what his coming will bring. Yes, this is what his second coming will bring, but this is what when you allow him to enter your heart and change your life really and truly, not just lip service, but your life becomes conformed to his, this crazy peace that you couldn't imagine begins to become a reality. And the prophet Isaiah says, why? For the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord. Today, now the third Sunday of Advent, our second reading is obviously about patience. Patience. James talks about patience. And he gives the example of a farmer, the patience of a farmer. I remember when I was probably in fifth or sixth grade, right, we had a project that we had to get a plant and we had to take care of this plant and then we had to write up a little report on what we learned from this plant. So I went to my parents, right, and I asked them to buy me a Venus flytrap, right? It's obvious if you're a boy, you're a kid, I'm not, not going to watch some dumb plant and water it and just watch it grow. I want to watch it kill stuff. 
I want to watch it like catch flies, you know, like, and it goes out and grabs the fly, right? So I was like, this is going to be cool. I'm going to have the best project. I'm going to have a blast. I'm going to have this, this flesh-eating plant in my room. So that's my parents, and they got me a Venus flytrap, right? And I remember it came, and it came, you know, contained this little plastic box and whatnot, so I took off the top of it, and I had this Venus flytrap in my bedroom, and I'm watching it, and there's nothing going on. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right, come on. It's supposed to be this carnivorous, you know, flesh-eating plant. It's not doing anything. So I went to bed that night, woke up the next morning, I looked at it, and I'm like, thing looks like a fern. It's not doing anything. It hasn't even moved since last night. Another day goes by, still nothing. So the days go by, a week, two days go by, the thing dries up and dies because I wasn't watering it. I'm like, this thing eats flies. I don't need to do anything. So after about a week and a half, two weeks, it's totally dead, and I chucked the thing out. I'm like, that was stupid. I forget what I put on my project, but... Well, one... There weren't any flies in my bedroom. And two, those of you who have, know a little bit about Venus flytraps, they don't go around chasing flies, right? They don't have legs. They're not aggressive. They're not reaching out like, like a, a frog, right, and, you know, licking up a fly. James gives us the analogy, we must be patient like a farmer who watches his crop grow. Right? At times we can be impatient. I got to see it now. You know, I bought this Venus flytrap because I wanted to see stuff going on. I wanted to see it moving. And James says, we have to be patient like a farmer. And at times when we hear the word patient, right, when someone tells us, you have to be patient, right, we think when we take our car in to get serviced, right, what does it mean to be patient? You just sit there and you do nothing. And you look at your watch and you wonder when your car is going to be ready after the oil change. And, and that's what we can associate with being patient. All right, when someone says be patient, that means, okay, it means I'm going to be doing nothing for a long time until this gets done. But look at the analogy. Patient as a farmer. Does a farmer sit around and do nothing? No. The farmer has to do his part. The farmer has to go out and sow the seed. He has to go out and fertilize it. He has to take care of it. He has to till the ground. He has to do all those things. The farmer is very much involved in his field, in those plants. But he knows that what goes on under the ground is beyond his control. That's what St. James is telling us needs to be our attitude as we're growing in our knowledge of the Lord as we're preparing for his coming as we're trying to pull him into our heart into our life he's saying don't get discouraged we're now beginning the third week if you haven't seen results be patient that's why we're given the reading today the second reading from James be patient which means don't just sit around you do your part, but realize that just like in any relationship of love, two people are involved. We have to grow closer to God, and God is always reaching out to us. We have to do our part, but trust that God is doing His.
All of you who are in relationships of love know that it takes time. You have to invest yourself in that relationship. It's not going to happen overnight. And as we're preparing for Christmas, we shouldn't get discouraged that we don't see major changes. We heard there's going to be this incredible peace on earth, right? If I'm full of the knowledge of the Lord. Okay, well, I know the Lord. Now what happened? Why don't I have this peace? Why don't I experience this joy, right, on the third Sunday of Advent? James says, be patient. Know how to be like the farmer who does his part, but yet is very much aware that God is doing his.